Genesis chapter 20, verse 17. You'll notice we're not in Genesis today, and the reason for that is as I was studying for the sermon this week and, and thinking about uh, where we've been so far in the study of Genesis, I realized that there is something that I, I probably need to uh, not necessarily take a break from Genesis and, and deal with, but something that we, I guess you could say this is an interlude to Genesis as we uh, pause for just one Sunday to look at uh, one of the commandments, the last commandment uh, in the Ten Commandments, because as we've gone through the story of Jacob, and as we will continue to go through the story of Jacob and Joseph and his, his uh, 12 sons, one sin keeps coming up over and over again, and that is the sin of covetousness. Uh, you see it with Jacob's wives, Rachel and Leah, as they coveted what the other had. They coveted their husband. Uh, against each other. You see it in Jacob and Esau and how they coveted what the other had. And you will see it in their children as their children covet what one has. And so uh, covetousness is a major theme of the story of the life of Jacob and his children. And so it's something that we need to address. And I think it's something that we need to address also because it is a sin that we as Americans nurture and promote. And so I want to take the time to make sure that we understand uh, more fully what covetousness is and how we as Christians are called to the opposite uh, or to the, the inverse of covetousness, which is contentment. And so as we've read scripture today, you might have noticed we've read about contentment as we read Psalm 23, and we've focused on God's provision for us in the songs that we've sung and in the scriptures that we've read. But now I want to drill down on this one commandment and consider what it means for us. So we'll read Exodus 20. We'll also go, like I said, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then also Matthew chapter 6, as we consider what the New Test Testament says about contentment and covetousness. So let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this text and understand it today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that your word is truth and that you have spoken, and it shall be so. And Lord, as you commanded the Israelites that they should not do certain things. You ended those commands with one that deals with the heart. All of the other commandments deal with outward actions towards you and towards our neighbor. But this one particularly deals with how we think. And Lord, so often we can manage to, to curtail our outward behavior, but what we think is often something that runs wild within us and we cannot seem to contain. Father, as your son taught, uh, often what we think leads to what we do. And so we know that it is important for us as Christians to master our thought life, particularly as it relates to coveting what our neighbor has. So Father, give us a desire for that today as we study from your word. Uh, direct our hearts that we might be directed towards you and away from self. 
directed towards your kingdom and away from the things that we build up in this world. Father, bless us now as we study today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So yesterday I had the opportunity to uh, get up, I don't know if it's opportunity or the chore, get up early before sunrise, take advantage of the last day that, that the sun would be coming up late, um, and took the boys squirrel hunting. It's the first cool morning that we've had on a, on a Saturday that I could take, take the boys squirrel hunting. And so we went down in the woods and, and uh, we saw a few squirrels. I'm trying to, Logan, my oldest son, has not yet killed a squirrel, and so I'm trying to getting positioned. I don't know if y'all have ever done that as fathers, but that's not an easy thing to do to get a kid positioned just right to where they can kill a squirrel. I wondered why my dad always seemed frustrated when we went squirrel hunting. And now I understand. One time, I'll tell this story. This is not part of the sermon, but it, it made me think of it as I was saying that. One time, uh, my dad would always try to, when we took a squirrel hunt, he would sit us down in one location and he would walk just out of eyesight and sit down. And I, he, I knew as a boy what he was doing is trying to get far enough away from us that he could actually kill a squirrel. And, and uh, so Daddy walked over and did this one day. He sat down, sat us down in the woods, and he walked over a few, you know, maybe 50 yards at the most and sat down away from us. And... Um, the thing that Daddy didn't do, though, is he didn't prepare us for hunting in the woods because my dad loved to tell scary stories about, particularly about hunting in the woods and him seeing Black Panthers as a boy and, and uh, you know, uh, coming upon something that he didn't even know what it was one time. And, and, you know, he scared us half to death when we would go camping. And then he expected us to be quiet when we went in the woods. Well, we, we got down in the woods and sat us down. He walked off about 50 yards and about probably, if it was five minutes, it was an hour. We, we started asking for daddy. We started, daddy, daddy. Finally, I, I got scared enough that I hollered, daddy. And I hear from 50 yards away, ah, and just blam, 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 blam. <laughs> he got so mad. He just emptied his shotgun in the air, but, and he ended up telling us, boys, I was sitting under about four squirrels waiting on them to come out, and y'all have to start hollering daddy, you know, and I was like, it's your own fault because you made us scared as boys. But anyway, I took the boys hunting, and one of the things that's uh, interesting to me is every time I go squirrel hunting or if you go deer hunting this time of year when the acorns are falling is just how pre um, prevalent and available food is to these animals. I mean, if you think about it, a squirrel, uh, you know, doesn't worry about acorns. He doesn't worry about his food source. He is always, he always had foot, has food, I'm sorry, uh, has food available. In the fall, the oaks start producing tons of acorns. And those acorns, if they were left to themselves, they would fall little by little over the course of a few months. But that squirrel, he gets a hankering for some acorns, so he goes up into the top of that water oak, and he starts shaking limbs and, and do, uh, getting those acorns out and feeding on them. And what's happening as he's doing that? As he's doing that, acorns are falling to the ground. 
And guess who comes along and feeds on those acorns that fall to the ground? The deer and the turkey and everything else feeds on what that squirrel shakes loose from those acorns. Now, is that squirrel up in the tree thinking, I'm going to shake out a few acorns for my buddy the deer so that he'll have something to eat too? No. The tree is producing acorns so that eventually other trees will be produced. The squirrel has no care for anything other than maybe himself and his uh, little squirrel children back at the nest. But he does what he does and it provides for the deer. And all of that happens without a single one of the creatures involved being concerned for what they will get out of their daily need. It's fascinating that that squirrel doesn't go around worrying about the deer, and the deer doesn't worry about the squirrel, and the oak tree doesn't worry about either of them, but all have what they need. It's by God's purpose and design that all would thrive off of this ecosystem. And as we look at that and we consider God's provision for nature, we often forget that God does the very same thing for us. And it's easy to forget that because we get worried about our own needs and running back and forth providing for ourselves. But it's also easy to forget that because our society encourages coveting. It encourages not what we need, and thinking about what we need, but it encourages what we want and what we desire. It doesn't encourage us to desire food. It encourages us to desire a, uh, the, the um, tasty, wonderful, delightful food that we can indulge ourselves on. It doesn't encourage us to desire clothing that might cover our bodies and provide us with warmth. It encourages us to desire clothing as an expression of who we are and what we are. If any culture is guilty of the sin of coveting, it is the American culture in which we live. Our day is filled with commercial after commercial tempting us to be discontent with what we have and to desire what someone else has. Think about it for just a second. Think about a TV commercial and how rarely it explains the benefits of a particular product. But instead, it explains how happy you will be if you have it. One particular uh, commercial that you see, uh, especially this time of year around Thanksgiving and Christmas, it, and uh, Folgers does a good job of bringing it out every every year. Is this? It's an older commercial that Folgers made back in the early '90s or sometime around there. Uh, but Folgers brings out this old commercial every year of this young man that's coming home from an international trip, and he comes home early in the morning, getting back from this trip, and his sister meets him at the door with a fresh cup 
of Folgers Coffee. Yeah, y'all remember this, the, this commercial? And she's made this whole pot for the whole family. And when the, the, the son comes in, he comes in, he sits down with his sister, and then it turns to the mother and the father, and they smell the, the aroma of the coffee, and they hear their son and, and daughter talking in the, in the uh, den, and they get excited, and they get up, and they get a cup of coffee, and they all gather together and fellowship around this cup of coffee. Now, what's interesting about that commercial is there is nothing in that commercial about how Folgers is made from fresh 100% Colombian beans. And there's nothing in that commercial about how Folgers coffee has less preservatives than the leading uh, competitor. No, the point of the commercial is to communicate to you and to your family that your family can be just as happy and healthy as this other family that is being portrayed in the commercial if you just had a pot of Folgers coffee. Uh, so there's that commercial, but there's also on the flip side, coffee's great. I think everybody should drink coffee. But if you think about it, also you can think of the beer commercials where this average guy uh, gets this good-looking woman all because he drinks Miller Lite or Bud Light or whatever it is. Our society wants you to covet because coveting leads to spending. And we all know that spending makes you happy, right? Um, But the commandment of the Lord stands against our culture. And so I want you to understand this morning that coveting is a sin because it sets up our desires and lusts in the place of God. So look with me at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his, fem- or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So this commandment, is very succinct and and very particular. And in this commandment, I want to examine three things. I want to examine the context of the command, the extent of the command, and the necessity of the command. So first, the context of this command not to covet. Now at face value, this command seems a little redundant because if you think back to the rest of the commandments, We already have a command not to commit adultery and not to steal. So when it says that you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, wouldn't adultery cover that? And when it says that you shall not covet your neighbor's belongings, wouldn't stealing cover that? Well, the sins of adultery and stealing deal with the acts themselves, the act of stealing and the act of adultery. But coveting deals with the sin that happens before the act. It deals with the sin of the heart. Coveting another man's wife happens before the act of adultery. Coveting a man's belongings happens before the act of stealing. And besides, you could covet something that someone else owns without ever acting against that person. You can have those desires without ever 
acting upon them and still be committing the sin of coveting. There are two strong examples of this in the Old Testament that, as you think about it, they come to mind pretty quickly. One is an example that we will be studying here in just a, a couple of weeks or a few weeks, and that is the brothers of Joseph. If you think about the story of Joseph, Joseph was the favored son, and his father gave him that coat of many colors, which brought about along with his dreams that he was having, uh, a jealousy from his brothers. He, they were jealous of his favored position with his father. They coveted for the relationship that their brother had. Their sin, the sin of discontentment and of covetousness, happened within their hearts long before they ever plotted to sell their brother Joseph to slavery and tell their father Jacob that he had been eaten by a wild animal. The other example that I can think of is that of David. You remember the story of King David going out during the springtime to walk on the wall of his palace and overlook his city, Jerusalem. And as he's walking along on that wall of the palace, he spots a beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. And he just has to have her. So he coveted his neighbor's wife, literally. And not only does that lead to adultery, but it also leads to the murder of Bathsheba's uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So second, let's consider the extent of the command. How far does the sin of coveting go? Is it wrong to want to improve your lot in life? Is it wrong to want to, be, uh, to have a better life for your children than you had? Is it wrong to have a goal and work hard for that goal? No, not at all. But I think that we all know that that's not what's going on with the sin of coveting. There's no problem with providing for your family and aspiring to give them more than you had and doing the best at your job. In fact, the Bible extols All of those things and encourages those virtues. But coveting goes beyond that. There's a difference in working to get ahead and working just to work. There is a difference in working to do your best and working to keep up with everyone else in the office or the society at large. There's a difference in working towards a goal because you've always wanted that truck or that boat or that river house or whatever it may be and leveraging all that you are and all that you have to get it because your friend has one. So to see this in the New Testament, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's look at what Paul says about contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll look at verse, verses 6 through 10. Verse 6 says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through that, this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So Paul is writing to Timothy and he reminds him that contentment is essential to a godly lifestyle. He makes the point that we didn't bring anything into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. In other words, as the popular saying goes, that you will never find a U-Haul behind a hearse. You're not going to take anything with you when you go. Then he says that we should be content with clothing and with food. These are the essentials and they are given to us by God. Just like those deer and those turkey and squirrel don't worry about their next meal and where it will come from, we should also trust that the Lord will provide for our daily needs. In fact, we just prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Finally, he says that the desire to be rich is a great trap that leads people to ruin and destruction. And the love of money, the obsession over just one more dollar, can lead you astray. It can lead you astray because it leads you to trust in your own abilities or in the abilities of the money that you have rather than in Jesus Christ for your salvation. So lastly, let's look at the necessity of this command. So why is this command necessary? Why does God care if we are discontent and covet our neighbor's things? Look with me now at Matthew chapter 6. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll look at verses 25 through 33. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is teaching in his Sermon on the Mount, and he tells his disciples that they should not worry about even the most basic necessities of life, like what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will wear. 
Jesus, like I did at the beginning, gives some examples from nature. First, he points to the birds and he says, consider the birds. They don't toil. They don't reap. They don't farm. They don't save up in barns. But yet God makes sure that they have enough food for all the year. Second, he says that the lilies of the field don't worry about what they will wear. And they don't toil or spin. But God has chosen to clothe them more beautifully than Solomon in all of his glory. So notice what he calls the disciples at the end of verse 30. It's something that he calls them quite often. He says that they are of little faith. You see, being discontent and coveting after someone else's stuff is saying to God that you don't trust him with your life. It's interesting that we can hear a great gospel sermon about how Jesus has saved us from hell and we will trust unquestioningly in God's grace and never look back. But when it comes to trusting Jesus with our everyday life, we can't seem to do it. We fret and we worry about how things will turn out and how we're going to get the, the next thing that we need or we want. And we envy and we covet and we sow discontent because our friends or our neighbors have more than we have. We cover it, covet over the smallest of things. And sometimes we make a big deal over things that we don't even need. If you think about it, most of the things you worry about, most of the things I worry about, aren't even things that I need to survive. They're things that I want to do. Um, sometimes, very rarely in our society, but sometimes there are people who do legitimately worry about where their next meal will come from. But for most of us, that's not even on our radar. For most of us, the things we're worried about are things that we don't even really need. They're things that we just want or want to happen. So friend, that longing for satisfaction that you have and that you're trying to fill with stuff can only be filled by God. God created you to find your fulfillment in Him. He created you for worship, not worship of the latest iPhone or the latest whatever gadget, but the worship of Him. Trust in Christ today and find your fulfillment and your satisfaction in the life that He alone can give. Brothers and sisters, let us not be like the world in its covetous spirit. Let us instead model our lives after Christ. Let us instead model lives that are dependent not on the things of this world, but on God. The world wants us to be discontent. They want so badly for us to want the next big thing, the next truck, the next iPhone, the next TV, the next uh, app on our phone, whatever it may be. They want so badly for us to find dissatisfaction with what the Lord has provided for us. They want us to look at what our neighbors have and to covet. May we, like Paul 
and like ultimately like Christ, be content in whatever God gives us, trusting that what he gives us is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are indeed enough. Lord, and we know that we as Americans have been richly blessed. We have been blessed with uh, even the poorest among us have been blessed with far more wealth than the rest of this world. And yet we, even in this wealthy, great country that we live in, cannot help but be discontented. And oftentimes that's just the encouragement that we have from our society is to want more and to seek more. Lord, may we as Christians not be uh, fall prey to that trap of discontentment. May we not fall prey to that trap of covetousness, wanting what our sister or our brother or our neighbor or our friend might have. But rather, may we instead long for what you desire for us. May we long to live in such a way that our lives are a, a testimony of worship to you, a sacrifice of worship to you. May we rightly value the things that we own. May we rightly value our relationship with our spouse or with our children and grandchildren. May we not set those things up as idols before you, saying that that stuff and those relationships matter more than you do. And may we consider each thing that we do, each thing that we buy, as uh, possibly even a, a testimony of where our hearts really are. And may we not seek after things because uh, the world tells us to or because we just want them uh, irrationally, but rather because we desire to, uh, to bring about a, a full life that ultimately worships and glorifies you. Father, be with us now as we go from this place. May we, may we be testimonies of your provision in our lives as we seek to live in a way that worships and glorifies you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.